Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Fader Interview. I'm Alex Robert Ross, Editorial Director of The Fader. There were flickers on Turnstile's last album, 2018's Time and Space, that suggested the Baltimore Five Piece were ready to venture way beyond the hardcore scene that spawned them. But even those fans who wanted to see Turnstile skate out into the unknown couldn't have been expecting their new album, Glow On. It's a breathless, kaleidoscopic, genuinely experimental record that, with 15 songs spread across 35 minutes, qualifies as a hardcore opus. There are new structures and textures on Glow On, Daubs of R&B courtesy of Dev Hines and backing vocals from Julianne Baker, Space Age synths, bursts of light between bludgeoning anthems. Their urgency is undimmed. Lead singer Brendan Yates' voice still sounds like it could smash through concrete. But none of that means they're orthodox, as one watched through the beautifully shot recent short film Turnstile Love Connection, directed by Yates, starring his bandmates, and featuring Turnstile's music throughout, will prove. Last week, I caught up with Yates to talk about the band's experimental instincts, the return to the road after a long hiatus, and the experience of recording a wild hardcore record on a farm in the middle of nowhere. On Saturday, you're playing a show in in Baltimore. This is your first show since lockdown, right? This will be the first one, yeah. I mean, how are you feeling? I feel good. I think it's like an equal amount of nerves and excitement to dive into playing shows. You get nervous for any show in general, but to add on not playing a live show for a couple of years and just like all, all things considered, it's like amplified. But I think also the excitement for us to play music together and to like play a live show and see people is really exciting. Take me back to the end of the Time and Space Tour because that was right, you were brushing right up on the very edge of lockdowns. Your last show was March 13th in London, right? Yeah, that was the last show that we've played. And that was kind of that weird gray area where no one really knew what was going on, but there was lots of different kind of news things going on and promoters weren't sure if shows should happen and some did and some some were canceling. But the last show we played before there was the travel ban and we had to just fly immediately home was in London. What do you remember about getting out of Europe and coming back? Was it a bit of a mad scramble? Definitely. I remember sitting up in our hotel room at probably 2 or 3 a.m., all of us hustling to find a flight back home because there was a travel ban that was announced. So we all kind of had to just buy these immediate flights back home so we could fly home the, the morning after the London show. And the airports were crazy and just like huge feelings of just uncertainty and just kind of just trying to just make it home. That was like our only goal, just make it home in one piece and figure out the rest from there. What, what do you remember about the first few days back in Baltimore? I, what, what did you what did you do? Were you together as a band? Uh, well, we got back home to Baltimore and we all just went home. And that was kind of like the beginning of lockdown and pretty much spent the, the next few weeks just really sick because we got sick. So it was kind of like coming home, the beginning of lockdown and also being sick was just like kind of like scary and like, 
you know, especially when there's not too much news about it really, or information that was being out. So it was kind of just this like confusing time of uncertainty and, and trying to just nurse ourselves back to health and just make sure that, you know, we're all good. So just a lot of like FaceTime calls and just checking in on each other and stuff like that. When were you ready to start making music again? When did you start writing? I know that this album really came together mostly in your bedroom, at least the, the genesis of it. When were you ready to start getting going on that? I think a lot of the songs had existed pre-pandemic or ideas of them and, you know, had kind of constantly been working on the songs. And I think once pandemic hit, it kind of like doubled down on the open amount of time that we had to just just be in my bedroom and all of us being home to kind of just like finalize some ideas and throw in some last minute ideas and things like that. We had planned on recording the album uh, last summer. It was kind of already in our agenda. I think the open time that we were allowed through the pandemic, where typically we'd probably have, you know, we had tours and stuff that were canceled, I think opened up this longer period of time where we could just fully isolate and focus on putting the, the album together. Turnstile to me seemed to be a band who really, not rely on, but are really energized by the call and response of a live show. You you feed off an audience and they feed off you. And a lot of your albums have in many ways been, you know, it really sounds like you're trying to recreate the energy of a live show on your records, which is an extremely hard thing to do. How difficult was it to try and create a record effectively in isolation, at least for that writing period, just without having like that immediate hit of having just come off the road and and knowing that you might not be back on the road for a long time? I think it was an exciting challenge. I think the essence of a turnstile song is always going to exist when the five of us are put into a room together and like, you know, what makes us excited about a song and how we can envision just like the the flow of songs and like the energies into other songs and things like that. So I think in a lot of ways it was a challenge, but also exciting. And I think the time that we had to fully focus on it without outside distractions of having to travel kind of allowed that to, to blossom a little more. I've been reading interviews with you lately and I'm really interested in the your creative process re- with songs, the way that you create songs specifically. It's almost as if you let the song drive you. You, you said recently in an interview that you were, you, you sort of listened to see, am I hearing a keyboard part here? Like maybe that belongs here. Maybe there's a beat that belongs here. How do those moments come up where you realize that, okay, this this is a moment, like you have some moments on this record where this, this is going to effectively be a fucking R&B song. I think it's kind of just, you know, time can kind of always serve as a, a filter through things that feel good to you. And when you have ideas that kind of exist for a while and they kind of withstand the test of time in your head, even if they're just in the back of your mind, we kind of like to kind of lean into those if they exist and they feel good and continue to feel good and are worth trying. And a lot of times it's worth trying and sometimes they don't work. And other things I think we tend to give a shot and maybe on paper to someone else, maybe different from things that we've done before, but to us based on our experience and where it's coming from is usually makes sense. We've connected those dots. So I think based on everyone having a different perspective on just music in general, I think it's always good as for us as a band leaning into our perspective and what feels inspiring to us and like what feels good to put into a song.
How did working with Mike Elizondo change that? I mean, obviously somebody with an incredibly diverse background. How did he encourage that and, and how different was it to, to go through that process with him? I think it was really cool because in a lot of ways, he let the process kind of just naturally happen a lot. And, and I think at first I was caught off guard because I, you know, you never know what to expect when working with someone. Maybe sometimes you build these expectations like, all right, everything's just going to be changed completely. Like, he's going to come in and just change everything. And I'm excited to see like how he changes everything completely. And I think when those changes like weren't happening, I was kind of at first wondering why. And I think in hindsight now, I like appreciate so much the fact that he kind of gave us this freedom to kind of just like let the songs kind of form and kind of was just there to kind of help along the way with what we needed without like trying to change too much about anything. And sometimes I'd be like, well, don't we need this? He's like, does it feel good as it is? I was like, yeah. He's like, then it feels good. And like, that was kind of a cool affirmation to have when you're kind of, you know, uncertain about what you're putting together and to have that kind of like that support there was, was really cool. Do you think that's the kind of that, that confidence you can take, like that's something you can carry forward into in every creative endeavor, right? Is just being able to say like, I don't need somebody else to come in and, and play with this. Like if I, I need to trust the song myself, I need to trust the idea. Definitely. I think especially if like, you know, it's not worth looking in how to change something if you know that where it's at feels great to you. I think even like, you know, a lot of the sounds that were made in my bedroom that ended up being on just the actual recording, it's kind of like, you know, I would bring these sounds and be like, all right, we can make a sound that's like this. He'd be like, but that's the sound right there. And I'm, you know, to me, I had this kind of perspective that, you know, you can't make something at home in your room as the final product for what you put out like that's kind of just like you kind of i kind of separated this kind of like initial process first like a, a final process and i think he allowed that to kind of be one thing where it's just like you have these sounds you have these things that you made on these keyboards while all of you are at home and like things like that he's like the reason you have these is because you spent time working on them and trying to achieve something so why change it if you if you've already done that process you know which was a cool perspective to have when going into the studio and realizing that like we had kind of achieved some of those things and you don't really need to look further than what you've kind of like naturally done off instinct. It's too simplistic to say first thought, best thought, but it's a lot of layers of first thought, best thought. It's like five people with a bit of mic all given their first idea and then it, it, it like layers on top of each other. Definitely. I think it's, it's always worth putting value to first thought and last, like any thought, like a first thought is never to be thrown out the window. I think a first thought's always to be like, every every idea is like to be kept at the forefront until you figure out which, which one is like actually what you're, what you're going for. Because I think when you're making music, you're just really shooting in the dark to feel something that connects with what your your goal is. And if something is, is, is like filling that void for you, but you're looking for something else, like sometimes it's worth kind of going back and just accepting like what you've what you've kind of landed on because there's a reason you got it in the first place i guess tell me about phantom studios uh it's all way out there you're in the countryside it seems like an amazing place to make an album especially after you know you've been inside a city and in lockdown for a while how did that experience shape the record yeah i think that experience was super rewarding for us because we were just fully isolated which i think every recording process in the past we had kind of just been still in the mix, whether it's in Baltimore or um, outside of Philly. So we're still kind of close to a city and can kind of still be connected to real life. Whereas this was the first experience we had where 
we were just fully isolated, kind of in the middle of nowhere, no distractions, no human interactions, really just embracing living on a farm, walking to the barn in the backyard to record every day and like, you know, letting it be a kind of experience where like you're fully submerged into it as opposed to like breaking up parts of your day to go back to normal life and stuff like that. So that was a a really exciting part of the process for us that we all talked about after really, really enjoying and appreciating. Were you already finished with the lyrics by the time you, you got to, to Tennessee? Uh, yeah, there's always kind of last minute little tweaks and stuff, but I think all the songs were were written and structured and even like the, the order of the songs for the record were all kind of like already assembled in the order that the record is actually in. So it kind of like having all that kind of then allowed for more time to focus on breathing more into the songs than just like the bare the bare foundation of it you know which is cool like with all your records but but especially this time around especially when you're spending time with your bandmates in like wide open space and and you're just in the music how much do you talk to them about what you're trying to convey in a song is it important for for everybody to understand as they're making it what you're going to be conveying in your lyrics or is it just a separate thing um i think it's not fully separate i think it's always like you know lyrics are a personal thing but at the same time when you're a band it's like you're also connected so i don't think it's it's ever a point where you got to sit down and like you know double check anything because i think there's like a level of trust there to kind of just like put out what feels right i think there's always kind of like the you know once sending it to everyone and sending the ideas and you know everyone on their own kind of process and like soak in it's kind of and the songs exist for a long time too where they start everyone is watching things kind of constantly change and all the different versions of ideas that kind of come up come about and i think everyone's along for the ride the whole entire time that i feel like yeah i, I think it always feels pretty natural Did you bring Dev Hines and, and Julian Baker physically to the studio? Dev and I, um, not that studio, but we met in a different studio. Julian just kind of was more of like a caught her and she did something kind of just from home. It's just to kind of throw like some harmonies on the song, which is really cool. But Dev, we went into a studio. Yeah, it was great. It was great to actually be in a room and kind of just sit there and spend time just messing with things and trying things and getting excited about things we were trying and stuff like that, which is, which is great. Dev Hines and, and Turnstar that does make a, a lot of sense. And especially like hearing Alien Love Call and Lonely Desires, like you can really see these two things working together. But Turnstile are obviously, you, you've created an environment that within the band that's really open to new ideas and to creativity and to, and to progressive ideas about music on the face of it that should make it really easy to collaborate with people but then there, i was thinking that like, there might be the, this flip side where you guys have such a maybe have such a well-honed internal language can that be difficult for other people to to step into when 
you've all been working together as as a group for so long and developing those that vocabulary yeah there's definitely you know when you when you make music with friends that you love and you've grown up with and have this kind of language that is just so established it's always like you never really know what to expect when work working with someone else but also that's kind of the the flip side of it is like that's like a really great thing to embrace because you know, when you're when you decide to work with someone else, it's because you 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 trust instinct and you trust their creative input they could have on a song. And I think it also what it does is like opens up a new perspective on the song that everyone that speaks the exact same language on the song that's been sitting on the song for years can't really have that someone else, you know, working with someone else is essentially an opportunity to bring someone else's perspective, which in general, while making music or anything else in life, it's like I feel like a, a great thing to be open to because, you know, sometimes I think as long as you go in knowing that it could work or it couldn't work, but you're just open to, to try some things. And I think in a lot of ways working with Dev and, and he kind of mentioned as well, like with Blood Orange songs, there's just like something that kind of gets unlocked that you didn't really see before when you bring in someone else on a song, you can kind of see songs in a, a new light that wouldn't have been fully realized without kind of taking on a new perspective to kind of be included in it. Yeah, those, those songs with Dev, You've got those up next to. I mean, the, the, the variety on this album is that you've got those songs up next to Blackout and like TLC, like songs that really sort of go back to, not go back, but like they they feel really close to the hardcore sound that you guys came out of. And then you've put this on an album where it feels like the best way to listen to Glow On is in as like one continuous. I mean, I've heard it described as a, a mixtape. Is the is the mixtape thing intentional? Is that coming from from within the within the band? Yeah, I mean, I, I think just like all the different songs and ideas, they've all been those dots have been connected by us and how they, you know, something that we want to feel or convey in a song or put out. Like they're all they all kind of do their own thing. But I think, in a sense, like putting them all together kind of automatically kind of creates a roller coaster of ups and downs and and different things, which I think is always something that we try to create when making music because I think there's like feeling and experiencing music or just feeling things as a person like there's all these kind of you know there's always more dimensions to it than just kind of a one-dimensional thing so i think it's something that's always kind of intended to kind of make sure that there's those dynamics and those things that we're trying to get across are like all included in there and can kind of be felt as like a a bigger picture thing so almost like by splitting things off you'd be taking something away from it but by putting everything together so you're trying to get at something about the human experience that's a little bit like sometimes you do feel soulful one moment and extremely anxious the next moment and angry the next moment and there's not really time to breathe in between them definitely i think context is a is a big thing and you know even imagining the turnstile love connection video that we did like those songs were we just imagined the context of those together made sense to us and we wanted to try to put that together in a way that could kind of provide a context that we felt that we wanted other people to to see or feel as well so there is kind of like you know a layer of context and time and place that you feel that you like experience a song or something that is always a factor in how you take in music Yeah.
I wanted to talk about Turnstile Love Connection. It's a really remarkable piece of work. Like, it's, an, it's an amazing, amazing, and, and like congratulations on your directorial debut. First of all, I, I, just, I wanted to talk about the locations. I mean, Arecibo, so you, you have a bit of a, you, you'd been there before, right? Can, can you tell me about the first time you went there? My friend Alex and I went there years ago, kind of on a whim, like a very last minute trip decision, but we just were both open, had open time and wanted to just go on a trip together. And we went down there with the intention of just really having no plan and kind of just calling it a day of just, just, you know, freestyling a little bit. And as soon as we got down there within a couple of days, we like had been stumbling upon a lot of abandoned things and, you know, buildings and structures and things like that, that that kind of became aside from going like checking out, you know, cool nature stuff kind of made it a point to be pulling over at a lot of these abandoned things and seeking some out to just go see the kind of structures that you can look at in a totally different light where, you know, whether it's like a, a baseball stadium or a hotel that used to be like full of life and now is kind of overgrown with trees and stuff like that. So I think it was just like that trip in general was kind of a, a memorable one. And, and particularly that baseball stadium was one that we just pulled off on the side of the road one day. We were just roaming around aimlessly, saw that. I think that's abandoned. Like, let's hop in. We hopped the fence, walked in. Saw that field. There was wild horses. I don't know if they were wild or maybe some locals put their horses in there, but there was just horses running around the field. And it just felt like, you know, I think like the lonely nature of it just felt really memorable. And it was something that kind of always just stuck in our head after after that trip as being like a really special place. And so you knew when you when you started piecing together this idea for effectively a very long form music video and short film, like Arecibo was just first first thing on your mind. At first, it was an idea in my mind, but I was like, how do we get something like that? Because I thought there was no way we'd actually be able to to go down there and film there. And like, us, just it seemed like a lot. So I was like, how do I find something like that that could make me kind of feel like that? And we were like looking at stuff as a band. And once we actually looked into actually going there, that was like, it was easier than we thought. You know, we just, we just did it. And yeah, it was like kind of perfect because I think I had already had some sort of like a emotional connection to the, the place that it just, it felt like, rewarding to be able to like apply it to the video project and the songs and everything you've talked in the past about you know having a little bit of nerves like before releasing a, a project it must be doubly anxiety inducing i suppose when a turnstile of connection was your vision you were the director um it was, it was your idea coming to life how did you feel before that premiered i think that kind of like that common feeling of like excitement and anxiety for it happening, you know, and people seeing it. Cause I don't know, I think everything, you know, none of us are like trained musicians or like experienced, like filmmakers or anything like that. I think everything we do is kind of just like shooting in the dark and trying to figure it out together as a group and like trying our best to kind of capture ideas that we have. So like something like that, especially when we did like the movie theater screenings of it felt like, I don't know. It's like, it's nerve wracking, I guess, because it's it's just kind of an unfamiliar territory, but also exciting because I think that like vulnerable state is something that's kind of like the most fulfilling stuff that you end up doing as a as a band together. What did you learn about filmmaking from the experience, and what did that teach you about creativity and the creative process more broadly? I definitely learned there's way more that goes into that process than I ever could have imagined. There's just so many things that I don't know. Just like even the smallest thing from like a um, a two minute music video can just there's so much that goes into it that like created a whole new respect for people that are constantly doing that because it just takes so much it's very like 
not draining is not the right word, but very just like constantly creatively and like mentally and physically just demanding. So I think for all of us, like all of us kind of being so involved in it, it was just a big learning process. We're all, all kind of like on deck, like figuring things out and running from here to there and locking down a logistic here and like kind of just helping with everything. And my friend Ian, that was the DP, was so helpful with kind of helping us figure all those things out. So much respect for people that are constantly diving into the projects like that because it, it takes a lot, I feel. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, being a director, you're the spearhead of the creative operation. I mean, obviously you're the lead singer of a band, but Turnstile feels quite democratic. Is it different sort of really having to make make the call on everything and to be, to essentially be the person where like the buck stops and you have to make a call on something? Is that a different experience to being in the band? I think luckily us being all so close and growing up together and you know, it makes it easy to be able to have like this kind of built-in support system of like assistance when there are tough decisions, you have things that you can run by other people. Because I think a lot of times being in a band in general, you're faced with so many, it's never just like obvious, correct ways to operate as a band. And, oh, this is obviously the right decision. This is obviously the wrong one. A lot of times it's very gray area. And you, I feel like are lucky when you can kind of be put with a group of people that are open to have discussions constantly and kind of like figure out ways. And sometimes you collectively make a decision that you're like, okay, next it was a learning experience. Cause we should have actually maybe done something kind of different, but like having that kind of open communication with everyone is like something I, I value a lot. And yeah, I mean, I think it, the, the process of the video too, was like huge learning experience in particularly for something like critical decision making in, in a time crunch you know because you kind of are forced to kind of make very important decisions in a matter of seconds sometimes so it's nice to have a group that can kind of like collectively help facilitate those decisions and come to help push things along together You have this show on on Saturday, and then you're ramping up to a tour, and then you're going out with like a really wild group of like on an incredible tour: Suicide Boys, Chief Keef, Slow Tie. I'm missing like six other artists, aren't I? It's it's a really incredible lineup. You're going out in September, right? Mm -hmm. Going out with artists like that, there there will be a certain amount of like cross pollination. Some of your fans will be discovering other musicians for the first time and a lot of their fans will be discovering you for the first time how important is that to to turnstile like how central is that to the band's ethos to try and cross over not just for yourself but to try and open up conversations across genre lines i think important because i think we try to always be conscious but also fluid in the kind of you know touring that we do and just like always being open to play to anyone and kind of like never being kind of backed into a corner with 
any kind of opportunity to play to anyone. Being able to play your music to different people, I feel like is probably the, the most rewarding thing when you're given the ability to tour and travel and play music. So I think it's always exciting to be able to constantly be back, bouncing back and forth to different things and trying different things and at least be being open because not everything makes sense all the time. And there's a lot of things that like don't necessarily make sense. And I think it's always important to try to like connect the dots where you think there could, there could be something that could that could make sense or connect with someone if you're like choosing what kind of shows to play for who and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think the end goal is always just being as open and fluid as possible to kind of be able to play to whoever. You played Tel Aviv and you wrote a really, like, a, I, th- I thought really eloquently about about why, why you're playing like a DIY show over there and, and you visited Palestine afterwards. You also played Vietnam. I, you, you hit a lot of places in that part of the world uh, a few years ago. Obviously, COVID is being a bit of a pain uh, in terms of be- people being able to go to like anywhere in the world. But that sense of being like geographically very fluid and being able to spark those conversations around the world. Is there anywhere that, you haven't hit that you want to and that you if everything were equal and if if things really did just continue to improve with the global situation that you would want to get to with the band to play and open up those conversations i know that we've always wanted to play south america i feel like there's plenty of places that we haven't played that we would always love to have the opportunity to not sure in particularly where but i think there's so many places that we would just love to get the opportunity to go because i think we're grateful for any opportunity to play to people and just to be a band. Well, look, Brent, that that's a brilliant place to, uh, like a slightly poetic place to end. I really, really appreciate you making time. Thanks so much. I appreciate your time as well. And I will talk to you soon. That was Turnstile's Brendan Yates talking to The Fader. Turnstile's new album, Glow On, is out this Friday, August 27, via Roadrunner Records. Our engineer is Tony Giambroni, and our associate producer is Salvatore Mackey. We'd like to thank Lauten Audio for providing our microphones. You can find them at lautenaudio.com. And we'd like to thank James Ivey for providing our intro music. Remember to follow The Fader interview wherever you listen to podcasts and keep an eye on thefader.com for essential music news, interviews, and essays. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Fader interview. Goodbye until then.